0: Welcome, everyone, to the Davos Fingers Podcast, Episode 2, The Things I Do for Love. Mm-hmm. We have with us today uh, the Davos Fingers team. We've got Scott, myself, uh, we have Matt, and we have Brooke.
1: Hey. And, Howdy. Uh,
0: ready to dive in. And uh, we're going to uh, cover John's first chapter today, uh, Catlin's second chapter, Arya's first chapter and uh Bran's second chapter and then tyrion's first chapter and then uh, if we got some time we're going to throw in some davos after dark in at the end and uh hopefully spoil some things for some people that want to stick around wanted to throw in two, uh just two two little notes from last week's podcast we uh we did some thinking about uh some reviewing and thinking about what we had done last week and we just thought that uh Spent a little bit too long summarizing each of the chapters, so we're going to try to do the summaries a little bit quicker this time and get to some more of the meat and analysis, as we thought that was really the strength of last episode, so we're going to try to get to more of that this time. And secondly, I know everyone will be happy to know that I've executed the bird that was flying around my house. It is <laughs> long gone. You will no longer hear the annoying, annoying beeping sound uh, from, from, the, uh, from the recesses of my house. So, uh, without further ado
2: maddie i think you're gonna take us away oh oh can i interrupt for one second absolutely wish you would excellent excellent i take great pleasure in interrupting both of you yes rudely two pieces one the uh guitar solo that you heard opening up this podcast is uh recorded by and an original recording by none other than our friend matt here uh, oh, thank geez. you so much, Matt, for bringing so much talent to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Second, oh, note, <laughs> second note. Second uh, note. We're not calling Scott Scabby. We're calling him Scatty, which is actually a portmanteau that we bestowed upon him when he entered fatherhood. It's a mix between Scott and Daddy. Scatty, and
0: no one else ever calls me that, but. We'll keep it for now.
1: But I, I had no idea that Scatty came from Daddy. I, I did not know that. What? I just liked the name. No, <laughs> I just liked came the up name. with it.
2: <laughs> I wonder if I can find that I am conversation. Okay, interruption over. Thanks very much, Matt. Take it away.
1: Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that we were calling him Scatty because of Daddy. I just thought it was cool. So
2: <laughs> now it's even cooler.
1: And that's how I'd live my life, just
2: in ignorance and bliss.
1: Yes, yep, that's who I am. <laughs> Jeez, speaking of people who are clueless, how about Jon Snow, huh? Just kidding, not clueless at all. Uh, The first chapter that we wanted to talk about today was, of course, John's, and it's the first time that we really get a look from his point of view. Obviously, we met him before in uh, Bran's first chapter when they found the Dire Wolves and witnessed the cutting off of poor Gared's uh, noggin. But now we get into a little bit more of John and get to see things from inside his mind, which is an awesome thing to do. So in this first chapter of his, uh, basically all that we saw was the feast of uh, celebrating Robert Baratheon and all his entourage's arrival. And of course, John not being uh, an official part of the family, being a bastard son of Ned's, gets to sit down with kind of the commoners. Uh, he of course doesn't like that a whole lot, but makes the most of it. Uh, you can sense a little bit of jealousy coming from him, but he he tries to kind of uh, swat that away a little bit. Uh, we get to interact with Benjamin Stark a little bit, who obviously has a very good relationship with John, and we get to see some of that. Uh, they talk a little bit about the Night's Watch. John ends up kind of rushing out into the into the Dark Night uh, from the feast, where he meets um, Tyrion Lannister. For the first time, we kind of get a look uh, into who Tyrion is. Of course, the youngest son of the Lannisters, uh, Jaime and Cersei, who is the queen, their little brother. He's the, they call him the imp because he is a dwarf. And so we kind of get a look into him and we get a nice little conversation between a bastard and a dwarf. So a couple of different things went on in this chapter that we want to kind of discuss and work through tonight. And I think what I would first like to at least get out of the way and talk a little bit about is kind of the the history of the Night's Watch and what we know about them so far. So we've got a little bit of information, but we can see that the Night's Watch is going to be kind of an important thing. I mean, the the whole series opened on the Night's Watch, right? Uh, Learning about Waymar Royce and some of those other guys who got killed by the White Walkers. And as we go along, we start to learn a little bit more about these this uh, band of brothers, as it were, up on the wall in the north and who they are. So we find out a couple of things here. We find out that they, they take serious oaths, uh, and some of those oaths include that they will not desert the Night's Watch. We already saw what happened to deserters. We also saw that uh, they don't... Um, they don't marry and they don't father children, at least not legitimately. And anyone can join the Night's Watch, which I think is interesting, even bastards like Jon Snow. So And murderers. And, and murderers anyone can. And Scott, on that note, let me pose this to you then. So uh what happens when you know when when someone elects to take the black or join the Night's Watch, no matter what they've done before?
0: Well, no matter what they've done before, when, when, when someone elects to join the Black, and it applies to the Bastards too, you keep your name, I suppose, as a bastard, but everything you've done is forgotten. You are now a sworn brother with everyone else uh, on that wall in a sworn brotherhood together, united uh, to protect the realm from the wildlings and uh, snarks and grumpkins, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> any any wrongs or crimes that you may have, forget, may have committed in the past is forgotten and forgiven, and... Uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a, a nice thing. Uh, it's also, in my opinion, it's it's also uh, what, what's the phrase? Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> the, the Night's mm-hmm. Watch is always in need of people, and so they're willing to let anything go to get to get people with talents, um, you know, up on the wall. Poachers, for instance, we met the ah, the guy in that first chapter. Yeah, it seems like, like
1: at some point, point just they're look just looking for bodies, right? Yeah.
0: We met we met that guy in the first chapter that's a poacher, right? And that's like a bad thing, but well, for the Night's Watch that's a useful fucking skill. Right? So <laughs> so, you know, so they let they let a lot slide, uh, you know, cuz they're in need of bodies.
2: But those are some serious oaths. I mean, you look at um a similar set of oaths like the the Catholic Church and their and their priests, they have a lot behind that and a lot of of ethical and moral personal choice and, and they can, you know, turn to their faith to help them keep those oaths. What did the night's watch have like a lot of cold, no kidding. And stack on top of it, a miserable location, uh, certain death and, uh, you never get to wear anything colorful or floral in the spring, always black.
1: And you would be the only one who worries about that. I did not even consider that.
2: <laughs> Ironically, my wardrobe ninety percent black. <laughs> I think so. It's, yeah, so uh,
1: sorry, sorry. Go ahead.
2: I was going to say um, we're we're receiving this information from Benjamin Stark. We only have a a short introduction to him, but we can already, we already know he's a Stark, and he is brother to Ned, which probably makes him a good guy. Just mm-hmm. just by association, if not familiar relation, um so he's a stand up kind of dude, someone who obviously takes his oath seriously, who has risen in the ranks of the black brothers, so um, how's everybody else handling this uh no sex, no children, no fun, no floral prints <laughs> is a big question,
0: yeah uh, and i I wonder about Benjamin too, so. We saw in that first chapter, uh the Weimar Royce, right? The 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 young a young young son of a, a noble house, the, the Royce house, that's chosen to join the black, and as I think Brooke alluded to, kind of a dubious decision to join the the Knight's Watch for someone with as much promise as even a young lord that's not gonna get to inherit much. Still you're you know it's an interesting choice. But with Benjamin, even more interesting I mean, uh, I don't know when he. Do you guys? I don't know if we know exactly when he did this. Whether it was, um, it you know,
1: was it was after um, Robert's Rebellion. So after the war, uh, exactly uh, Ned and Benjen were the only Starks left. Right. Exactly uh, what I'm getting their, at. Oh, their weird. mother had died a while ago, um, and then Rickard and the dad and Brandon, the oldest brother, uh, died at the hands of King Ares at the same time. And then, of course, Lyanna died as well and and so uh Benjen remained at Winterfell to at while Ned went off and fought because as we know and as they've said in these chapters there always needs to be a Stark at Winterfell so Benjen mm-hmm. remained behind and watched Winterfell and then as soon as he get got back apparently as soon as Eddard got back is when uh, is when Benjen uh took the black
0: so exactly what i mean a weird choice yeah exactly you're it basically is. at that point i mean you're you're basically there's not a ton of there's not a ton of heirs around, you know, mm-hmm. and not a ton of Starks around. It's, it seemed like a weird choice to me.
2: Also, a time of prosperity, Robert's taking the throne, yes. and it's yeah. a yeah, it's summer, and it's,
1: it's a good time to be a Stark,
2: right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting it choice, is. and I I don't know more about it
0: than that. Uh, you know, they don't they don't they don't give you much on Benjen this way.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because, and I mean, what is you get this. When I first read, I thought the was reading that first prologue chapter, I thought, you know, the Night's Watch is super cool. And then, you know, you you get to Benjamin and you're like, yeah, it's still pretty cool. But then you learn everyone else that's taken the black and they're rapists and murderers and thieves and all of that. And it's like, are these guys really that cool? And uh, it's, it's kind of a, a fun, funny thing to think about that all that's really protecting the south from these white walkers, these terrible creatures is a big, huge wall. Others, manned Matt, by others. excuse me.
2: Others. <laughs> Not White Walkers.
1: That's right. White Walkers is the HBO name for them. And all that stands between them is 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 a big wall and a bunch of rapists and, and poachers and stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, and Stark. oh no.
2: See Matt, you're doing the same thing that we do to modern, like to our universe's prisoners and dehumanizing them and right. giving them identities that is only their crimes. They've been absolved. Like they are exactly. they are they are black. <laughs> We don't like that I'm catching you on this.
0: I think I think he was about to make the point is that okay. the, the rest of the, the rest of the world feels that way about these guys, but mm-hmm. they really are ready to step up. Maybe he wasn't going there.
1: No, I, I was, and and what I'm trying what I'm trying to get at, and and you did, Brooke, and I don't fault you for that at all, is uh, is we do get a certain sense of humanity, and and it's something that George R. R. Martin does brilliantly. Is you get very human characters. You they're not just rapists and and thieves and stuff like that. They're people, and you get someone again like Raymar Royce, Waymar Royce, who was a Kind of a d bag, but he was still ready to to the you know uh, do his duty uh, when surrounded by all these others, and and that's how a lot of those a lot of these uh, members of the Nights Watch are.
2: I would um, read the crap out of a novel that was just the Black Brothers. Yes, Night's wouldn't Watch. that be cool? Yes, yeah. Spin off side of just, books. Yeah, just except that don't trust anyone
1: to Watch.
0: handle it the right way. Other than that, I would read them. I,
1: <laughs> I would read anything written by by Bentham.
0: Oh, well, you want Bentham to write them?
1: Yes, I do. <laughs> Bentham
0: said you wanted to read them.
1: <laughs> Maybe that qualifies her best to write them.
2: Uh, I'm far too lazy. Let's start a letter campaign to George. I think he'd be on it. No, I think he's we, looking don't want for any sort of...
0: anything but the next. Any... Novel. <laughs> no, I know. He's
1: right? not, are you kidding? He's me? not
0: to, George, to touch he's not anything, anything else. Shiny yeah. objects distracting him.
2: I know. <laughs> it's like he seeks out procrastination. This would be perfect. He'd be like, "Oh, good idea, guys." <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so that's the night's watch um any final thoughts you guys wanted to make on the night's watch i think we've covered them
0: i think there's going to be a lot more to talk about when we get to meet them
1: totally i'm excited Mm -hmm. so let's let's focus in on john a little bit and talk about just what it means to be uh a bastard in this world that george rr martin has created um you know we get all these things at John's adamant uh, insistence that he will never have children. Um, you know, he had to learn to notice things is one thing that it points out in the chapter. Um, he's not sitting with the rest of his family at at this big feast. You know, what is it with bastards in Westeros and and why are they looked upon the way they are?
2: Holy cow, it's 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 his entire definition of being. Everything is seen through the lens of him being a bastard. It has got to be exhausting.
0: And at the same time, you also get the sense that he's in some ways extremely grateful that he has Ned. Like, like he, he hates that he sees the world through this lens of being a bastard, but at the same time, he wouldn't trade it for the world because then Ned wouldn't be his dad, right? Mm. You know, it's like this... It's like this extreme dichotomy in his being that that's fighting all the time, right? Extreme pride in in having the blood he has, but also this this shame and and you know self deprecation at being a bastard all the time, right? Mm-hmm. That's really uh, tender, Scott. Yeah, well, you know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> seems like you relate to Jon Snow. Uh, you brought in, in up an interesting point, Matt, in that. He made quite a fuss and a little bit of a scene during the feast, um, <laughs> shouting that he would never father children. He would never father a bastard in turn, which uh, I guess points to the 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 logic that if your last name is Snow, you can only pass on the last name of Snow. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> it's it's not even something your children can get out of, which is. Like twice as damning. It's crazy. Um, well, yeah,
1: you know, a lot of times you you want to give the best to your children, and even if you're a failure, you can at least set your children up for some sort of success, and and that's not even curiously. an option available. Yeah, it's not even a you know you you spend hours uh, making them hit balls in the backyard so they can be a pro <laughs> baseball player. What uh, your kids
2: are doing right now. <laughs>
1: 10 They're yeah, playing the piano until <laughs> so their fingers bleed. <laughs> no, but that option isn't even available to to these poor children of bastards. I'm sorry I interrupted you.
2: No, no, it, that, that's exactly to my point. I've actually heard this said before. I'm trying to think who it was. Um, some comedian, uh, I say N because it's a woman comedian. Oh, oh she had her own... Oh, Sarah Silverman. She was on like a talk show or something and I read an article on it where she gave the reason for never having children as she has heredit or uh presumably hereditary mental um uh diseases that she just doesn't want to pass on. Uh, she doesn't feel like her children deserve that. And I, I would say a lot of people would be willing to take that risk, um, hoping that, you know, children will receive treatment. They'll they'll have uh, prior knowledge of the ailment or, or whatever you know, mental condition it is. And then they can, you know, be um, proactive about it. Like it, it, w- it would not stop them from having children, but she's pretty absolute in it. And it sounds to me like Jon Snow is like not even going to take the chance. Not even, never, never going to put any, any, any child of mine in this position. And so, yeah, Night's Watch makes a lot of sense to him, even though he is only fourteen.
0: You know, that really
2: Silverman interesting, thing really that, interesting point.
0: Yeah, that Silverman thing really, uh, really hits home for me. I, I had the same, the same dilemma, um, trying to convince my wife that we should not have kids because I knew they would be afflicted with my nerdiness. <laughs> And their obsession for Star Wars. The world is a better place you. And then you named your son Lucas. And then I named my son Luke. (laughs) Wow. Uh,
1: Yep. Thank heavens for the Thompsons. Indeed.
2: Uh, So, Viva Leonard.
1: With that, then, Brooke, that's a beautiful point you just made. Um, What does that tell us then about? About John's personality, you know, having that sort of foresight and and forethought. And he's living at a disadvantage all of the time. And it would be really easy to just kind of fall into some sort of uh, just extreme apathy. But what does that tell us, you know, about who John is and and how his mind works?
0: Yeah, he is mature beyond his years, right? He is mature and far-seeing and wise beyond his years, is my opinion.
2: He's also grown up side by side with Rob, who has had all of the privileges denied to him, but they get along really well. They're close as full-blood brothers, and I imagine that has had a lot of influence on him.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Tyrion, and then we'll be done with this chapter, because I think it's really interesting to note uh, his entrance and subsequent conversation with uh, Jon, talking about uh, John never forgetting who he is, and you know, sort of wearing that label of bastard with a certain amount of pride, and talking about how you know not all bastards need to be dwarves, even though all dwarves are bastards. Uh, what do you take from the counsel that Tyrion gave to to John outside on that that cold night in Winterfell?
2: No, I've got nothing, Scad.
0: <laughs> so you were on a roll. I, I think he does something interesting because so so let's let's first point out neither of these guys have it as bad as it could be. They're both growing up, living a reasonably sweet life in a noble house with lots of money and all their base needs taken care of. Um, you know, they're <laughs> but they they both have a a very uh, sor- feel sorry for me attitude, which is somewhat deserved. We've already talked about the plight of the bastard and how hard that is. Uh, we we haven't yet heard much from Tyrion about what it means to be a dwarf in this society, but it's rough. We'll just <laughs> just lay it at your feet like that. It's rough. But at the same time, I think Tyrion's talking to John and being like, look, Dick, you think you got it bad? Look at me. Like, stop, stop feeling so sorry for yourself and, you know, know exactly what you are and live it and own it and be proud of it, but don't let anyone knock you down for it take it mm-hmm. take that away from them and mm-hmm. you know you don't have it as bad as maybe you think you do that that's part of what I think he was given given to him. And
1: even if you do still own it and 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 make something of yourself you yeah. know, do what you can mm-hmm.
2: good point but I and...
0: see a lot of people in this series that have it a lot worse than these two dudes even the even though Martin makes us feel for them very much and, and we should.
2: And you know what? I think that I think that you're right, like on the money on that one, Scott. And in a chapter that we're going to be discussing later in this particular episode, Arya, um, John's younger half sister, proclaims that it's not fair. And mm-hmm. uh John says, Yeah, nothing's fair. Yeah. So I think he's already starting to <laughs> Yeah, to just settle into that acceptance, and uh, <laughs> he's a quick learner. Yeah. yeah,
1: indeed. But one thing Tyrion has going for him that we can't forget is that is his tremendous acrobatic skills. What the heck? Let's not, let's not forget that he did like some flippy handspringy thing off the uh, arch or whatever. I, it is I he just say, of.
0: I'm excited to see more. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then, like, directly in the next Tyrion chapter, it's talking about him hobbling around up and down stairs. His joints and... aching. Yeah. It's because
1: he's been doing so many acrobatics, yes. acrobatics you guys. Uh, like, he's sore. It's the cold. Uh, oh, I cold said his bones. Out
2: before I jumped off of that thing. Major editing fail.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's enough of John. Uh, great chapter, it gave us a lot of insights, not only into kind of the North and the Night's Watch and everything, but also into two very key characters, mostly Jon and a little bit of Tyrion as well. Uh, the next chapter was Catelyn's second chapter. We're already getting her uh, a second look at uh, in Catelyn's mind, and Scatty read that with a certain amount of uh, care, and uh, we're going to hit it over to him now.
0: Yeah, I, I took as much care as I could. Uh, so, this is a great chapter. Um this is while 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 some of the chapters you know in in this book are, are very character driven and some of them are very plot driven some of them are like this and do both. Oh, and it's a gem. It's it's a great chapter. Uh what you got is Ned and Cat post coital. They're uh in the room. Ned's shaking the dust off, open up the opening up the the window. And uh Catlin's Catlin's freezing freezing her ass off. In bed, and uh, they're just—they're about to decide whether ne- Ned's going to stay uh, in Winterfell, Winterfell, or go and accept Triple B's offer to uh, to be his hand in King's Landing while he rules. But they're surprised with a visit from Maester Lewin. We'll talk a little bit more about Maesters later. But uh, Maester has been has been given a, a an anonymous gift laid at his door, uh, addressed to uh, addressed to Catelyn, and so he brings it. It it ends up being from Lysa. There's a hidden message uh, within that gift uh, that Catelyn decrypts, and it basically tells her that the Lannisters, and specifically the Queen, are behind Jon Aaron's murder. And that is a catalyst for them that they decide Ned must go, and he must figure out what's going on down there, and who did it, and why, and you know what the motivations are. Uh, they decide that uh, he'll take with him Sansa, Arya, and Bran. And he's going to leave Rob to rule and well learn how to rule from from Catelyn and Lewin. Luwin, uh, and they're also going to leave Rickon behind because he's he's a tiny little guy. And uh, the conflict really becomes about Jon and whether where he's going to go, and uh, it it comes to the Catelyn doesn't want him to stay, Ned can't take him with him because he knows that a bastard at court won't won't go well, and. Uh, Maester Lewin comes in, saves the day, and says, hey, uh, John wants to join the Night's Watch, so maybe we we'll just let him do that. And uh, lastly, there's also a lot of interesting stuff in there about uh, Catelyn when she found out uh, about, about Jon Snow, the bastard, being born uh, and trying to figure out who the mother is and how she heard it and why. Some really interesting stuff in there character-wise for her and, and uh, her relationship with Ned. So that's a, the a chapter summary in a nutshell there. Um, so a, f- a few things. I want to talk a little bit about the maesters first just to get that out of the way. Um, and guys just jump in wherever. But, uh, you know, the maesters are an order of learned, educated men in various disciplines. And they come from – they all go to one central location in Old Town. Sakinsus uh, if you, Mapas, if you get out your maps – Uh, You can look in the back, and toward the very bottom left corner of the map, you'll see a a town called Old Town. That's where they're all all trained up. And uh, those maesters, uh, they they basically study all sorts of fields uh, of of medicine and science and history and warfare and, and anything you can imagine. And when they learn enough stuff, they basically get assigned out to be the advisors to the noble houses of Westeros. And so each major house, uh, well each each noble house of any kind has a maester that is loyal to the realm and not supposedly loyal to their own politics or their own their own house or anything like that, but loyal to the realm itself by getting this training. And um, a lot of interesting characters uh, in the book that are maesters um, and some that are training to become maesters. And uh, you'll see a lot more of them, and, and they all have different kind of specialties and, and different areas of knowledge that they specialize in and stuff. So that's what a maester is. You'll see them a lot. Um, they also, one of the main things they do is they manage the ravens, which you'll learn are the, the key ways that you can send information from house to house is through raven. You you tie a little note to their leg, and they fly off, and they know they've been trained by the masters to fly to different locations. And so... Um, that's they're, they're that's kind, kind of,
1: Go ahead. They're kind of like the family doctor too. Yeah. as absolutely. well as the like the school teacher. They yep. teach all the kids. They're kind of really the jack of all trades. I you know, I think of how long we spend in school just to learn about one thing, one emphasis and one major and these guys are have to learn everything.
2: I'm just going to say they're kind of like those those jerk perpetual students but they actually are useful. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah also rereading this chapter reminded me that uh when lewin is described um so every time they master some sort of uh, I don't know, area
1: discipline they get
2: discipline there you go they get a link for a chain worn around their neck that is of a different metal representative of that discipline but apparently the chain is is tight around their neck. It's not like mm-hmm. a long drooping chain. It's I, I suppose it's it's um uh um incentive to gain more discipline so that the the chain isn't so tight around your neck. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But it sounds super uncomfortable and it is not what you would automatically picture. I'm just wondering if there is a deeper motivation for having it so tight around their neck, like a reminder of their of their job
0: yeah it's kind of a constant reminder right and and there's i wonder if it's that yeah i think there's a sweet spot in there too somewhere because the more change you get the heavier it is that it's hanging from your neck too Mm. so there's got to be some sort of sweet spot like i think i'm smart enough now (laughs) it's not choking me anymore but it's getting a little heavy i'll stop yeah
1: yeah it's loose enough but not quite heavy enough to and yeah. my head to be dragging along the floor. I like the way locked. you
0: put that, Brooke. It, it's it's kind of like a constant reminder to them of what they are and and who their responsibility is too and and all right. of that.
2: Yeah, they really do fill in the chinks of a lot of of roles that are missing in this world, like 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 you mentioned physician or family doctor, just general knowledge guy. They're kind of like Wikipedias <laughs> for 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 every house.
1: That is perfect. That yeah. is absolutely perfect. They are the internet for every house of Westerns.
2: It's only are. They, even the Ravens are kind of like their network. Right. Oh, clever. The Ravens are oh, email. Yeah. We cracked that code, guys. <laughs> we do not
0: work for a technology company.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, All right. So uh, next, I kind of wanted to just talk about Catelyn in general. It's her chapter, and I think she shines in it. Um you know, you you see one of the things that we called to uh, call attention to in the last episode. If you haven't watched it, go check out episode one, or listen to it. Go check out episode one, DavosFingers.com. And uh, one of the things we pointed out in that first episode is that the the relationship between Cersei and 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 uh, Big Bob Baratheon, uh, the king and queen of of this fair country. It's there's no respect. There doesn't seem to be much love. Um, you know, you, you don't you don't believe them as a happy couple at all. And I don't think you're meant to. And you know, this scene, you see a very tender, a, a very tender, respectful relationship. Um, you know, and and she's she, I think Catelyn is I think Catelyn is what every what every lord in Westeros should should hope to should hope for she's a very loving and nurturing mother. She is wise. She sees she's she's the one that that uh, I think Lewin did too, but she sees the meaning of receiving the lens in the gift that a lens is a device to see and that they should look further into the gift and uh you know she's she can she can uncover that riddle. Um she gives good counsel. She stands up for herself when it comes to John so she's not just, you know, some some woman doing what she's told you know, like, like, like some of the women in this book, you'll find out are, um, you know, so I think she's, she's just a very dynamic, powerful, in enriched character. And I, I, I wonder if Ned knows what he has
2: and how lucky he is. Yeah, I imagine he doesn't show affection very well.
1: He's kind of more the, the strong and silent type. Uh, in a, in a book where, you know, we talked about in Danny's chapter last week, how, how women are often treated in this, in this culture and everything. They're kind of the, the baby makers and they're, you know, they're used in negotiations to unite houses and stuff. Marry one of my daughters, you know, they're bargaining chips in some cases. I hate to just generalize them like that, but uh, it helps Catelyn even stand out even more that, you know, she's not just the mother of edard stark's children she's not just producing edard's heirs she's a she's a real partner in all of this you know she's if edard's a and in winterfell she's one you know a and one they seem to to work together and and even if ned doesn't uh you know he may not realize exactly what he has i don't know but I think he he definitely respects her as as an equal partner, and and that's really cool to see, especially in a marriage that was never supposed to happen, right? Yeah, right. Uh, Catelyn was betrothed to um, Brandon. Brandon, Ned's older brother, and when uh, Brandon was killed by King Aerys, um, Ned married Catelyn out of duty. It was it was a marriage of of duty, and they still ended up. Um, uh, in the situation right now, which is a very functional and and a family and, and a very working marriage, that's that's actually quite good. So.
2: Yeah, they're both after very five special.
1: kids, six kids, whatever. Five kids, the magic is still there. You know, obviously.
2: <laughs> Scott, I love the way that you described her. Um, oftentimes, women will advocate for strong female characters in media and TV shows and movies and books but the interpretation of a strong female character by many is a female who just acts like a man. When in truth, uh, one could argue, and I'm not like, this is not an original thought. This is all over the internet feminism airwaves. But what we're actually looking for is a woman of substance, of complexity, um, of, you know, you can be strong and still cry. You can be strong and still make bad decisions. You can be strong and still be reliant on your husband. But honestly, I think we should stop asking for strong female characters and just start asking for interesting female characters. Not How about just the real TV makers.
0: How about real ones? Yeah. Every time that so we could we get derailed in this conversation for a long ass time. No uh, kidding. My sister's educated me well on this topic, but um, <laughs> you know. All, all, so I do some acting on the side, and, and all I'm ever really looking for is interesting characters to play. And I, I find that in media, with, with female characters, what you're frequently given is a role. They're here to fulfill a purpose. Like They're here a, to
1: drive the plot along in some way. Right.
0: right. I mean, the, the most common one, obviously, is the, the romantic interest, right, that just drives the male character along, which is horrible. Oh, the worst. It's the worst. But... But all you really need are real characters, characters Mm -hmm. that if you set them aside and just look at their story and say, what are their motivations for acting this way? Are they real? Do they exist? Are they thought out? That's all you really that's it's really the only question you need to be asking about your characters, female or otherwise. (laughs) Like, do they make sense? Are they making (laughs) rational choices? And do they have something
2: that drives them? Right. That's really all there is to it. And Catelyn certainly does. Yeah, she's a fantastic example of that and And not to belabor this point, but I would argue that um having uh, just looking for real women characters is not even good enough because a lot of real women don't realize that they have the right um, to be interesting. A lot of them fall into these same roles. like it's scary. They just don't know that there are other options out there. You don't have to go through the motions. There's a lot of men that fall under that that trap too. Yeah, people. <laughs> I'll I'll stop being sexist just for you, white privileged males. Hey. You're welcome. <laughs>
1: American too. Don't forget
2: that. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Upper middle class white American privileged males. I'll stop. There you go. There you go.
0: <laughs> I just want to point out that all feminist really means is that you believe that women and men are equal, and so. I, I hate that word because I think people have a negative connotation for it. Anyway, let's let's move on. So one thing I wanted to add about their relationship. Uh, so we've we talked about how great Catelyn is and, and how, how great their relationship is and, and how give and take it is, and they're talking to each other as equals and making decisions together, and they're both in this game together. And there is a wedge hmm. that you can dr- that just, it just... Like every time a certain three-letter name gets dropped... It just wedges itself straight through their relationship, and Catelyn's resentful, and Ned is 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 short with her, and it just it just gets ugly. And that three-letter three name is John, of course, and we see that in this chapter. And I don't know what you guys, if you guys wanted to talk a little bit about that.
2: Oh, more more cement for her um realness for sure. She is a loving and um dedicated mother, but man does she ever resent the fact that Ned has embraced his bastard child as one of his own.
1: She even said that she could get over him just fathering a bastard
2: mm-hmm. and
1: maybe just leaving the bastard with the mother wherever she was. Um but he she can't get over him bringing the boy home and raising him in their house and stuff like that
0: more than more than she could get over it she expected it mm-hmm. she, she, ex- she was like this men have needs and when they're out on the war campaign for a year at a time i expect him that he's gonna have to do that but if it oh. happens to father someone he needs to leave them behind
2: looks
1: right? like uh-uh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i read that with like my you face almost froze into the gag face <laughs> it, was, it was gagging for so long
1: well they'd been married for such a short time right they'd only yes. been married for a short time before uh ned went off to war uh she finds out she's pregnant with um with rob and you know there's no way to like send selfies of her belly off to ned and be like hey look look, look what having a baby and stuff and she's so happy probably to share this new child with with ned and and of course rob's born before ned returns and she's like i'm so excited he gets to meet his little baby boy well he's already got one
2: (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. that would be pretty devastating for a first time mother well (laughs) i I, I got the
0: impression that they were together for a night the wedding happened they consummated and he left
2: and yeah it, it was
1: a very short time
2: yeah that seed quickened, Ned. Hey, eats, do you think Ned ever told anybody we're pregnant?
1: <laughs> we're
0: pregnant. I don't think he did. <laughs> well, it's an interesting question. I mean, Matt's whole Matt's whole statement there was that Ned didn't know that he got back and he had a son and he it was right. a surprise. It's possible that they sent ravens around and he knew. Mm. Um but oh, but, yes. but we but we don't know that we don't we don't know either way. Yeah,
1: yeah. You, can, you can kind of understand the resentment on a certain level, and and it would be very tough to deal with. She's like, you know, I married you out of duty, and I gave up all this, and da 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 da, and you still bring home this bastard kid. Uh, turning it around to Ned, why do you think he's so short in talking about it? Is it just because he knows, oh, this is going to start a fight? I don't want to do this. So I just, just shut up. Just shut up. You know? Or, you know, what's, is it because he feels shame because he is a man of such honor and he's fathered this bastard and he really just doesn't want to talk about it? But then why would he bring him home in the first place? I don't know.
0: So uh, I think it does have to do with honor. Uh, I think he's, I think he is embarrassed by it. It's not an action that he normally takes. Um, you know, just sleeping around and, and satisfying his urges. I bet Brooke's face is back stuck in that position again. Um oh, But uh so gosh, I, I think part I'm of lucky. it I think part of it is honor. Um but I I think part of it too is is it's just it's just kind of his nature not to want to talk about uncomfortable things. He's he is he has so many positive qualities, right? And he's a great guy, but, like, why belabor this? I don't want to talk about this. Like, I got other important things to worry about. Like, let's move on. This I is what it is, and and I said that, and let's move on. I think he's just short. I think he'd be short for other, other similar things, too. You didn't go to my sister's wedding! Well, you know what? I had other things I had to do. Let's drop it. Like, <laughs> I just think that's the way he is. He's very, he's very pragmatic that way, and it's the way he views it.
1: Which lends itself to very good um well, I think in a sense, uh leadership skills. He is a decisive leader and when he you know when he gets his mind on something, he's gonna do it and, and that's a pretty good quality to have.
0: But I, I I don't think he's perfect. I mean a lot of people huh. hold Eddard up as this this saint and I, I don't think so. I mean I think he has flaws and I, know, think I think he think would this, be uncomfortable with
1: being called that.
0: Yeah, he probably would. Holier than thou. Uh so So the last thing in in this chapter, really, that, that, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about characters, but they make a a pretty substantial choice in this chapter that Ned's going. And, you know, I read that. I'm like, no! The first time, like, don't (laughs) go! You just heard that, you know, these people are, they're out for blood. And now you just want to go and and do this? Like, maybe stay where it's safe. And uh, so, I don't know. Did you guys agree with the decision or...
2: I agree that with uh Caitlin that there's no way you can turn down the the king uh, exactly. Ned seems Ned seems convinced that Robert is still the boy that he grew up with that Robert would get over it within a week and they'd be back to slapping each other on the back and hunting together, but Caitlin, and I'm glad that he has her for counsel, wisely advises him that Robert is no longer. You know the the boy that he knew. He is a king, a long established king, and um, a bit of an embittered king because of all of the crap he's had to put up with uh, via his in laws. So she says, um, "No, you have to go because to refuse would be um, absolutely ridiculous, and more importantly, might be seen as treasonous." Um, like. Ned has uh, designs on the throne. So. so So
0: you think he had to go before the letter. So uh, after, Oh yeah, for so, sure. So after the letter, did you change your mind at all?
2: I don't even know why he asked for more time to think about it. Or <laughs> like honestly, the king asks you to be the king's hand, the king drags his entire entourage for a month up to the cold north, uh including his his uh Rashy wife, then, and knowing
1: that his wife won't like it at all.
2: Yeah, and and of course, in earlier chapters, they had already um, speculated that Robert was coming up for more than just a visit. I think that Ned was fooling himself. It it always had to happen, but the letter certainly was was the kick in the can. Do you
1: think Ned and and Catelyn, to a gr- degree, saw. What kind of shape Robert was in physically, emotionally? I mean, he's this drunk, just going downhill fast type of guy. Do you think? My kind of guy, yeah. Really? Yeah, my kind too. (laughs) On the weekends, anyways. Shelty's kind of guy too. Yes, indeed. (laughs) That's Mrs. Thompson. Uh, Do you think there was a sense of of duty on Ned's part to his, his country or the kingdom. And and that I got to go try to fix this because Robert and his wife's family are running this place into the ground. Or do you think that didn't even play a part in it?
2: Oh, good question. In other
1: words, was he, was he driven by ulterior motives or or not ulterior motives, but, uh, altruistic purposes of wanting to help the kingdom. Mm
2: -hmm. Honestly, from his discussions with Catelyn and from what we've seen of Ned, his love for the North and his family far outweighs any responsibility he feels for um, helping Robert dig himself out of the hole that he's in. And because he needs time to think about the offer and hesitates, I think he's he's just, uh, yeah, like deluding himself or or, or, or or avoiding the harsh truth that... Yes, the Robert that Robert and the kingdom need Ned to clean up the mess that the Lannisters have made.
1: I would agree.
0: Yeah, I think I agree. I think yeah, I think they, he's doing it out of duty. Um, and You guys uh, have been
2: saying duty a lot, and all I'm picturing is D O O D Y. Duty. Disgusting. <laughs>
1: wow. Uh but
2: Episode you know,
0: one was so strong and listen to us. <laughs>
1: Our VH1 storytellers, you know, <laughs> stories already being written.
2: <laughs> this is where it started.
1: <clears throat> but uh, just one f- final thing maybe, and I actually just forgot what it was, so never mind.
0: Well, that's good because it's for past time. We should move on yeah. to Arya.
1: Yep.
2: Right. So our first introduction to Arya. She is the youngest daughter of Ned and Catelyn. She's a Stark. Uh, we open up with her and her sister Sansa, a Sansa's best friend, uh, daughter of another person who lives in Winterfell, and the Princess Marcella. How do you guys pronounce her name? Marcella.
1: That was Awesome. Way. We agree. Gwen,
2: Marcella. They're all doing um needlepoint cross stitch sewing under the supervision of a septum or pardon me, septa. Which is, uh, I would say, probably an equivalent of a nun. So, a religious woman who uh, would sort oh, of be a Catholic. Right. Yeah, yeah, a Catholic nunny in her role as an educator. And uh, yeah, Arya, not into that. Bit of a tomboy, sasses the septa, books it out of there, goes down to the courtyard where two things of note happen. Or we should make note of two things. One, Jon Snow is not participating in the um, like mock uh, sword fighting training that the other boys are doing. So Rob and um, the young princes, he is watching. Um, And Arya asks him why he's not doing that, and because bastards are not invited. So again, bring out the bastard. Hey, Jon Snow, how are you doing this morning? I'm a bastard always comes up. It's brutal. (laughs) Um, I'm a bastard. (laughs) That's what it feels like. Um, But we get it. And obviously we're supposed to be getting it. So second thing of note, Rob and Joffrey um, have, uh, we don't actually see them uh, mock fighting training. However, Joffrey challenges Rob once again with a real sword, not just like a training wooden sword. And uh, the training master says, no way, you guys are way too young. It's dangerous. It's not going to happen. Rob and Joffrey, or Rob, I believe, tries to convince him to at least uh, let them have a try with blunted swords. And uh, so uh, Joffrey sees them being denied using real swords as a way to get out of having his ass handed to him again by Rob. Uh, which we understand happened in their last match, um, as observed by Jon Snow, and it, they end up throwing some taunts at each other, a couple of mean slurs, and we observe that Rob and Joffrey are probably never going to get along to the point that you know of, of friendship that Robert and Ned have. Um, their sons are certainly not seeing eye Tie and uh, have not found any sort of reason to be close, probably because Joffrey's a little dick. Anyways, uh, closes out the chapter with Arya remarking that she'd much rather be doing uh, sword work than needlework, and that it's just not fair, and this is where Jon says, well, nothing's fair, so suck it up. And that is our first introduction to the little tomboy Arya.
0: I just wanted to throw in one little one little nugget that you you didn't put in your summary, because it's not important. But it, it, did, it did give me a smile because it reminded me of something from my youth. The, uh, the way they describe Tommen and, and Bran being all bundled up and uh, in their armor right. and like, they're like rolling around. like they, well, Tommen gets knocked down and he like can't get up. And I, I just remember a Christmas story. Randy lay there like a slug. It was his only defense.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen
1: that oh, one. No oh, should. Brooke. And they haven't come out with it in Canada.
0: Maybe not. It's been maybe like 30 year.
1: years, and it's still not there.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, we won't have that
2: for a few I You guys just are just getting like the Casablanca, YouTube
0: right? I'll send you a link so you can see that scene.
1: Yeah, it's Okay, great. sounds
2: good. Um, yeah, super cute and uh, interesting that they have them training to uh, fight with lethal weapons so young. But uh, I guess that's the way it goes. Either, uh, either get in there early or you lose out later.
1: Well, they can't really, like, sit and play video games, right? They, Touche.
0: They could, they could have them sew.
1: They could sew, or they could go out and fight in the yard. Those are your choices. <laughs> See, the what feminism to stink
2: is still hovering over our conversation. <laughs> they could be doing needlework.
0: It's a viable option. They, they could be learning from the maester, which uh, I think they
2: do quite a bit of. <clears throat> Not as much fun as hitting each other with sticks. Indeed. Admittedly, a lot of fun. Uh, some... Very interesting points of note. I think Arya is a great character. I think she's uh, again another female character who is complex and interesting, and um, neither completely good or completely bad. She's not flat. She doesn't fulfill you know a role of just another ch- child of the Starks. You know to fill out the uh, the five hand there. She has a lot of personality, and um, she does note during her conversation with John that herself and John are the only ones who really have the look of the Norse. So they're the only ones who resemble their father. They both have dark brown hair and uh, dark grey eyes, while the rest of the children, Rob, Sansa, Bran, and Rickon, take more after Caitlyn um, and um, her people of Riverrun. Um, with auburn hair and lighter eyes. And so she feels more of an affiliation with John because they do look alike. And uh, she also has been teased in her youth because she has a long face. She gets called Arya Horseface. She feels like like a mouthful for kids to be taunting. Like, does a rhyme. Like, come on, guys, G- get creative. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if you really want to hurt a child, you got to get creative. And so she... Uh, she is very aware that she is not pretty and perfect like her sister Sansa. She's not gentle in her speech or um, uh, really good at, at womanly pursuits, if you will, like like needlework and art. She is. <laughs> but but she uh, does note that Sansa should never be expected to run a household because she has no head for figures. And presumably Arya can do math real good. But not language. Yeah, not language, not so much. Um, so uh she is 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 very self aware or has been made aware by her siblings that she is different. And um I wouldn't say that she's quite ready to embrace it. She obviously has a lot of jealousy for Sansa, even though she probably wouldn't recognize it as jealousy, but she obviously looks up to and admires her sister, but mm-hmm. understands that she's not naturally gifted with what Sansa has, so uh she's gotta She's got to um, make her mark some other way, and and she does that by uh, being a little rapscallion. scallion.
0: And how awesome is she? There's a reference in the text there about how Septimordain mentions something about her skills being more suited to be a blacksmith, oh, and uh, and she as she's running out from the the little morning lesson of sewing, she yells something about having to having to go shoe a horse, like just throws uh-huh. it right back in her face. It's just got a little, bit of, a little bit of that, an example of that Rapscallion mentality you're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. Also ties into the horse face. <laughs> Maybe. Oh,
2: okay, yeah, it's making more sense now. Reach. Oh, I, for- I forgot to mention, the chapter actually ends with uh, Arya coming off of the courtyard where they're doing the sword fighting training. And... Uh, the septa has found her and the septa has her mother and it sounds like Arya has some fear of her mother. So, uh she might be getting in trouble.
0: Yeah, I read that and I was like is she really going to get in trouble? Is is it like is it like a Arya, you need to be better or is it like <laughs> a, you know, no dinner for a week kind of thing, you know, like how much trouble is she really getting in, I wonder.
2: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: Is Catelyn a stern mother, do you think?
2: Well, in the Bran chapter, which we're going to be covering, uh, she's pretty out of it that Bran not go climbing around the grounds. And
1: and then he does it anyway.
2: Up, and yeah, ends up losing probably because she can't follow through on threats. So I would say she is not a stern mother.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah I think she believes in the boundaries and stuff, but uh, whether it's just not being able to follow through or maybe it is a higher sense of wanting her children to develop in their own way i don't know but <laughs> she ends up kind of just letting things go it seems
2: yeah. um yeah so again i love Misa Maria, and i really love her relationship with john matt you pulled out a really good quote um john says to Arya, girls get the sigils but not the swords bastards get the swords but not the sigils so john really empathizes with Arya's feeling of it's not fair and it's not fair that she can't uh, wield a sword and is, is left with needlework instead as a pastime because he's denied a lot of stuff too. So that's, a, that's another wavelength in which they can connect. And uh, I love that they have each other. And I love that um, when they are upstairs doing needlework with the septa, Um, just you know, gossiping and talking, John comes up in conversation and Sansa immediately Oh John, yes, our bastard brother. Right. Yeah. (laughs) John, pass the salt, you bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Never miss an opportunity to bring it up. But uh Arya I believe defends him and says, Our brother defense, our brother, he's our brother. Just our brother. He's our brother. So very strong relationship there. And I'm glad that they have each other because they are both a little bit of the outsiders, both physically in appearance and and because of their respective roles. <clears throat> we also, uh, in this chapter, get a first real look at Joffrey. And <laughs> you Here have, we uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Matt, uh, you have called him a little shit in our notes. I was quoting asked- John. Mm-hmm. Does he have any redeeming qualities? Um, very interesting to note that on his jacket that he's wearing while he's training. Um, so he is a Baratheon. He is the son of Robert Baratheon, the king. But he has blonde hair and green eyes, and hangs out a lot with his uncle and his mother. Uh, you you almost get the impression that he is a little more Lannister than than Big Bobby B. Um, and that is um, sort of like proven by the fact that the jacket that he's wearing during the training is a split sigil. Uh, sigil. I, I keep on saying sigil and I apologize. It's that is just, that's just me being uneducated. Sigil split down the middle one half is the crown stag which is the sigil of the Bartharian house and the other half is a lion which is Lannister and I would imagine if you are of the royal house you should be pretty proud of that house and not willing to modify the sigil at all but uh you 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 gotta imagine there's a lot of influence there from the Lannister side for for him to be wearing that proudly, especially with yeah, the Starks.
0: There's two interesting things about that to me. First, you know we don't have a we don't have a, a huge sample size for this yet. We know we know that the Starks uh, identify with the wolf, that the, the dire wolf. We see now Joff identifies with both. Um, you know we don't have much example. We don't know how weird this is yet, um, but. But I think I think you mentioned the good point about, look, he's the king. Maybe you should stick with that one. <laughs> you know, like maybe the maybe the stag is enough. Um, but I, but I think it also it also maybe hints at something with Joffrey that he's getting he's getting hearing things from both sides. He's hearing things in both of his ears, right? He's he's maybe being fought over a little bit for control by his mother and his father for influence, right? And he's. You know, okay, I'll put both of them on there, maybe, right? I don't know. Okay, both of them go on, right? And there's there's some right. conflict there, which we've mentioned before about about Robert Baratheon and, and Cersei Lannister, that, that their marriage does not seem m- maybe like they're really on the same page, like Catelyn and Ned seem to be most of the time.
1: I think we'll get more into... Joffrey, and, and he's got whispering going on in both ears, but who he listens to more yep. as we go along—it'll uh, certainly be an interesting topic of discussion. I think, even as we get more into learning about him.
0: Yeah, we should probably move on. So uh, we got to next. We have Bran's second chapter. So we saw Bran earlier uh, in the book already, uh, with the invited to his first beheading. We now get a, a little bit deeper look into. His evolution as a, as a kid and, and who he is and what he enjoys. Uh, so this chapter is is about Bran. He's about to he's about to go to King's Landing with the train with his father, and he's trying to say goodbye, but it's too hard. So he decides he's going to go climb the walls of Winterfell, which is uh, we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Is something his mother hates, but it's a it's a real passion for him. He loves doing it. He feels free. He feels. Better than you know, like he gets a different view of the of the castle and the grounds than anyone else because he's the only one that knows this world and, and the, you know climbing and scaling the walls of Winterfell. So he's excited to go and 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 do this, but he's also excited to go to go south. And so he's kind of the saying goodbye thing. He doesn't want to get sad. He wants to be excited. So he's he's climbing to a normally abandoned area, and he overhears a conversation, got some interesting details about his father, but he can't he can't see who it is. So he decides he's got to learn more and see who's doing the talking. Um, you know, that's a risk. He could just leave. He could just turn around and go. But he 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 wants to see who it is and thinks he has to. Um, he sees that it is in fact Cersei Lannister and her twin Jamie Lannister. And Jamie Lannister is doing his best, color me bad impression. Um, <laughs> and um, while Bran kind of peers back down over the edge, he slips. And is falling, and Jamie catches him. No sooner than catching him, Jamie looks. Quick discussion with Cersei, and they decide they're going to throw him out the window. Jamie pushes him out the window, falling far to the ground below Winterfell. And that is how the chapter ends, with Bran falling from the window.
2: Oh, you got to give the line that Jamie uh, Jamie says. End
1: it with the line.
2: <laughs>
0: well, yeah. we started the episode with the line. Yep. Uh, this line is the title of this episode: "The Things I Do for Love."
1: Ah!
0: (laughs) and uh (laughs) it's an interesting line i mean it's uh we're on it let's talk about it so uh the things i do for love so he's in love with his twin that's the first thing we we glean from that uh no he
1: was just hurting her remember what brand said
0: wrestling and hurting her because she was telling him to stop we Mm -hmm. all we all know how that goes i'm sure it's also kind of a casual line, the things I do for love. It's almost like a sarcastic thing you'd say when you, know, when, you, when you do something unimportant. It's kind of like a, a little throwaway, oh, the things I do for love, sigh. And he's done something pretty severe, but it's just kind of a throwaway. And I think, that, I think that's an interesting look into Jamie's character as well. Um, Our
1: first real look into him yes. is having sexual relations with his twin and then pushing a child out of a window.
0: But also in a few smaller nuggets too during that chapter about Jamie. You know, Cersei's very is very worried about the situation with Ned coming south and what it means and what his intentions are. Jamie's like, dude, relax. Chill. I'm trying to get off here. You know, like
1: <laughs>
0: like he's he's just not he's just not that interested in all this politics stuff. And it it does, it just comes off very casual. It's like I'm not sure you can afford to be casual about all this stuff. So, yeah. a very interesting first look at Jamie.
2: I feel like George kind of wrote him sort of like um like your your typical action movie uh star. Sort of almost like a John McClane. It's like, oh, here we go again and like throwing <laughs> out one-liners. <Yeah. laughs> and calming hysterical women when Cersei saw Bran she started screaming he's just like oh I better catch this kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which which I really enjoy um I it is no secret that I love Jamie. I think he's an excellent character despite the fact that he kills children and uh sleeps with his sister which you know scientific fact we are all attracted because of our inherent Narcissism to features that resemble our own, so it's not like a huge surprise that they're sleeping together. It's still pretty taboo, but um, I kind of get it. They're both they're both hot, still very probably very unhealthy and damaging for their for their brother sister relationship. Yeah, well, Um, damaging or helpful. Well, uh, no, you know what? Good point. Good point. Sounds helpful. Sounds like they have had each other since birth. Um, you know, uh, probably Cersei sees, sees her marriage to Robert as a hardship and having Jamie there to get her through it has been a great support system. Uh, again, only from her perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else's perspective? Oh boy! <laughs> it's also,
0: its also interesting too. I mean, we're—I uh, don't know—what are we? Seven, eight, eight chapters into this thing, and we're already dealing with our second case of incest in, incest. in this world. And we've—we've mm-hmm. we've learned that we've learned that it's—it's it's almost okay for the Targaryen family that that they did that as a way to uh, keep it in the family, literally, right? And you know, maintain their their pure. Status in, in their family, right, and, and not not spread it around. Uh, but, but this is a little bit different. You you get uh, you get you got some impression, I think, in the early chapter that it was okay for the Targaryens and not everyone else. And we're seeing here it's happening somewhere else. And I don't know th- I don't know if we know exactly how to react to
2: it, right? Well, George is throwing it in for shock value, like like a lot of his plot devices, whether it be um, zombies or beheadings that. Get watched by children, or I I don't want to give away any other shock value moments that we're gonna have. But it's deliciously taboo, and we just eat that kind of stuff up, right? And uh, we know one of us does. (laughs) It is. It it makes for. It makes for. Super interesting reading because it brings a whole new dynamic to, well, one, their relationship and to every other interaction they have with every Tyrion's chapter. Him and Jamie are quite close. Uh, Jamie treats him, you know, like he would uh, any other sibling. Uh, <laughs> not any other sibling. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he treats him like... Um, uh, like he he definitely sees past uh Tyrion's dwarfism um and other uh disfigurements and uh sees him for the, the clever brother that he is and, and values him as a clever brother that he is. Would Tyrion accept and, 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 and cherish that uh Jamie's admiration for him if he knew that you know Jamie and Cersei were dutying.
1: Knocking boots. Let's not also forget that we find out in this chapter that Jamie, along with all the other things he's done, like pushing kids out of windows and stuff, has also killed a king uh, Mm. while being a member of the king's, you know, royal bodyguard.
2: Yes, his nickname is the King Slayer.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah, and as a result, people kind of, they talk behind his back. It seems like they kind of don't take him as seriously. I mean, Bran is, one of the things that we haven't talked about in this chapter is, is the qualities of Bran, but... Bran immediately looks down on him he discounts him as as a member of of the uh the king's guard. There's two of them that came not three right mm-hmm. he, he almost mm-hmm. doesn't even count them he and,
1: doesn't
0: which which is also interesting uh in the previous chapter with john there's a note uh where John is saying this is what a king should look like and he's referring to to jamie right? Jamie. and and so that that's an interesting uh um disparity there. You know how these guys see him. <clears throat> Some interesting stuff with with Brand too. Just um this kid is a he's a dreamer, you know? He's a dreamer, he's a high flyer. He wants to be he wants to be the best thing in the world. He wants to go south. He wants to learn about the court. He wants to be a legend. He wants to be a knight. He wants to do all these great things and you know, at the same time I get the feeling that he's kind of a little bit of a loner. One of his one of his favorite things to do is go climb and be by himself, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure what that says about him, but it's it's kind of interesting, right? I I feel like he's got these qualities that are very knight like: this quest for adventure, this uh, the 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 willingness to to endanger himself by learning who's doing the talking in this scene that we've been you know going through, and at, at, at great risk to himself potentially, right? you know let's throw out child childlike curiosity from it and assume that it was it was some you know some real noble quality that made him feel like he needed to do that and he followed through and he's 7 you know hey, he even
1: he even says in there that if he if he didn't look then when he went to tell his parents they wouldn't believe him and yeah. so he he felt like he had to
2: well I think you described him really, really well. But also in Caitlin's chapter uh, where they are discussing who will stay at Winterfell and who will go down to King's Landing with Ned. Um, she gets the most emotional over Bran leaving. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to find where she does talk about him. It's not worth me looking it up, but she loves him. She thinks he's just excellent. Just
1: He's the opposite a... of Jon in her eyes
2: yes yes such a such a sweet loving boy and it's almost you, know, you look back at that line and you're like oh probably completely undeserving of being thrown from a tower
1: and he was the main topic of conversation in the godswood in catlin's first chapter too before they mm. started talking about everything,
2: you're right yeah little bran getting up to no good climbing everywhere she
1: likes she likes her bran
0: so uh we're getting short on time I think we should we should move on to uh to Tyrion's chapter.
2: All right. So Tyrion's chapter uh, this is his first chapter. Um another character I just love. Thank you for picking uh awesome character chapter summaries for me, Matt. Really I did that on it. purpose. Yeah, also so you, Matt. <laughs> um so uh Tyrion wakes up um the next day after Bran falls from the tower. It's quite early in the morning, but there are already people gathered in the courtyard getting ready to train again with swords. And he sees um, um, Joffrey. God, I can't, why can't I remember his name. And you know what? I apologize. It might not be the next morning. It might be a couple of days later because he gets very irate with Joffrey because Joffrey has not gone to pay his respects uh, at Bran's bedside to Catelyn and Ned. Tyrion, who I believe is completely in the right, is shocked and appalled that Joffrey has not already done this, that he's being a little um, whiner about the fact that Bran's wolf, who still doesn't have a name, has been howling outside of his window ever since um, they brought Bran back to the tower. Um, uh, P.S. We learned that his spine and legs were shattered from the fall and he is unconscious at this time. Catelyn is by his bedside. So, uh, Joffrey sasses him back and Tyrion slaps him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, more than that, Tyrion threatens to slap him. Uh, if Joffrey says one more word, Joffrey says one more word and that's when the slap happens. And I love (laughs) it when people follow through with threats. (laughs) It's the best. So, um, The bloodlust is back. (laughs) <laughs> it is also my lust for strong parenting <laughs> um and uh it's it's very interesting because Joffrey is prince heir to the throne, Tyrion, well, his uncle is still um nowhere near inheriting any sort of throne um and also a dwarf, and also um as we keep on hearing from George quite ugly and disfigured. Um, and it, and it's interesting to me that Joffrey would still have enough respect for him to take the slap and then go pay his respects at Bran's bedside. He actually listens to Tyrion. I think that's something that we should discuss. But first uh, Tyrion uh, exhausted from his little slap fest goes to find breakfast. Um, uh, the mood is, is quite sour in uh, Winterfell. They've put off going Back down south um, for a while, um, at least until Bran wakes up. So it's cold and, and, um, Tyrion is very observant that uh, things are not going well uh, up here in the north. Anyways, he goes in to get breakfast. Great description of food. Uh, Scott, you mentioned earlier that you would love to have lived in this universe just to eat. And I completely agree. So much like wholesome, comfort food and, and natural few ingredients and gravies and creams and
1: beers and
2: very tasty. Oh, but
1: Benjamin taking that bite out of the onion in John's chapter, That Oh, t-
2: delicious.
1: Oh gross! Oh, yeah.
2: oh, so good. I love onions. Oh, no, I didn't need that. Presumably, it was like, like caramelized. I'm guessing. Anyways, still gross. Whatever the yeah, delicious. Whatever the case, when he gets to the breakfast room, um, Cersei and Tommen and uh, Marcella, her children are there, as well as Jamie. and right away he senses that something is off and he engages them in conversation and and watches them exchange a look uh, as they're discussing uh, Bran's uh, current state and the fact that Maester Lewin thinks that he might wake up because he hasn't gotten any worse and uh, Cersei and Jamie exchange a look like they might be worried about this seven-year-old kid waking up like why should they care and Interestingly, Tyrion is suspicious of them and suspicious of the fact that they might have had something to do with Bran's fall. And uh, yeah, that's where we leave off.
0: It was a pretty short chapter. One of the things I love about about that is that whole part of the table is he's not he's not leading a line of inquiry. He lets the kids' natural curiosity ask him questions. Then mm-hmm. his then uses his answers to watch the responses around the table. And he brilliant. observes
1: more than he talks. Yeah.
0: He? And yeah, and he's very he's very casual in the way he delivers the messages. Yeah. And he's not like I'm here to tell you things. The kids ask him stuff and he responds. It's, you know, it's very it's very unassuming way of going about it.
1: He conducts the conversation. Mm, while yes. not actually leading it. It's if that makes sense, it's very interesting.
0: I don't get music, so no, it didn't make sense. <sighs>
2: <laughs> Tyrion, uh, super intelligent, uh, super manipulative, and uh, as you as you noted, super observant. Uh, definitely knows when to keep his mouth shut and just listen. Yeah. Um. Da, 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 da. We also.
0: I, I don't. I, we, you, t- you mentioned a little bit at the very very beginning, but it goes to the intelligent thing. But this chapter starts with Tyrion in a library reading a book, and he's been there all night. The Septon that's sitting there with him fell asleep, passed out. Batarian's been in there all night reading, reading, reading a book, and uh, th- wh- it's it's just almost a throwaway line, but it it says something interesting that you could maybe guess about this world. But uh, he says to the Septon as he's as he's leaving something about you know your copy of this book is the only complete version I've ever seen. You need to take care of it, and it's it's two it's it's interesting for two reasons to me. Uh, it it just speaks to. Tyrion's love of knowledge and how important he thinks it is that he's going to mention it to this guy that fell asleep on the book on the way out. And and B just the fact that this is an area, an age where knowledge transfer is not easily done. There isn't there aren't books and, and massive copies of books just laying around. If you get a copy of something and have a chance to read it, you should take that chance cuz you may never see that copy of that book a copy of that book again. And so Tyrion absorbs that kind of stuff and, and stays up full nights doing it when he finds a new
1: library. I know, Brooke, you mentioned you wanted to talk maybe a little bit about Joff's relationship with Tyrion. we got a couple minutes if you wanted to. or.
2: Um, yeah, you know what? I, I would actually put this question to you guys. Um, why did Joffrey listen to him? Why, why was Joffrey actually cowed by the slap? I, I would think just from his past behavior, his behavior to everybody else that he would not have taken that from his uncle. so
1: Especially his uncle, who's a dwarf mm-hmm. and is of obviously you know, a lower social standing in the eyes of everybody else uh, on the outside, certainly not on his inside, um, as we can see from his intellect and, and stuff. But uh, I agree, and I'm puzzled by it, actually. I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Um,
0: well, I'll give mine.
2: Please. <laughs> of course Scott has some thoughts. <laughs>
1: I
0: think Joffrey's a little bitch. He is. <laughs> I, he is. I, no, honestly, I think that's what it comes down to in this case. He's sadly physically intimidated by a dwarf that slaps him around. He's somewhat cowardly and doesn't have doesn't have the ability to stand up for himself in this way. He's just afraid and, and all talk.
1: Let me ask you this. What if Jamie had slapped him?
0: Well, I think Jamie looking at him would have been enough for him to go talk to the,
1: talk <laughs>
0: yeah, to the stars. Yeah,
2: no kidding. That would have been devastating. Yeah.
1: Yeah I think it is part of the of Tyrion's way of just being um first of all no one else would have dared to slap him probably just because he's a prince Tyrion doesn't yeah. care he does slap him and, and that takes him back and and he's exactly what you said he is Scott so But you're right he's it's gonna a respond little bit of
0: that. a surprise right when you're taken by yep. a surprise like that you're like oh what oh I I've never been to do this? You, maybe I sh- maybe he's right maybe I should go
1: yeah, or maybe he's not even thinking at that point. He just doesn't even know what to do. You know, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, this is also our first introduction, really, our 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 second introduction. But a closer look at the Hound, uh, who is Sandor Clegan, and as we understand it, he is the assigned personal bodyguard to Joffrey. Uh, he is recognizable because half of his face has been burned, and uh, he um, is a little bit spicy yeah uh, did uh after after uh, Joffrey slunk off, uh, the hound mentions to Tyrion, and you're not really sure what kind of relationship they have yet that Joffrey is not gonna take that forever, and uh Tyrion doesn't really give a shit, but uh it does tell us that the hound understands what a little shit Joffrey is. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Going, and oh, wait, how sorry. he's going to grow. In, sorry, you're right. It is very interesting how he's going to grow into a very, uh, like, just a jerk of a man.
1: He he doesn't – you know, if – he is he is Joffrey's assigned protector and you almost expect him to get right up in Tyrion's face and be like, if you ever touch that kid again, I swear. And he yeah. just kind of says he's not going to forget that just so you know, almost giving <laughs> advice to Tyrion, almost warning him a little bit. And then Tyrion says, uh, you know, if he does forget, he says something like, be a good dog and remind him. And then he says, hey, where can I find my family? And Clegane tells him. <laughs> and Tyrion goes off like –
2: you're uh, right. I never thought about that. There's... He should have defended Joffrey and 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 at least gotten upset or or come to his aid or stepped in front of the slap or or caught Tyrion's hand. But <laughs> not one. He let it he happen. Should... Two. He yeah. was probably smiling.
1: And he let it happen again, right? <laughs> yeah. There should never even have been a second slap.
2: Yeah. So uh, obviously, he's going to keep Joffrey from serious, like mortal peril uh likely because if he doesn't he too will die but he has no problem with joffrey being chastised and uh probably wants to do it quite often himself probably do well. right.
0: should, should we uh we're we're about at our mark we...
1: davos have to Okay. Well, I will throw this out to you guys and see which um, makes you salivate more. Do we want to? Uh, so everyone uh, else who's listening, <laughs> turn it off now if you want to avoid any spoilers. Uh, we're doing our feature called Davos After Dark, which is completely open to any sort of spoiler that you want to talk about. Turn this off now. Okay, Davos After Dark. Do, 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 do. Davos After Dark. Davos After yeah. Dark. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, okay, so, so what were your what were your two nuggets?
1: What what makes you salivate more? Uh, talking about who John's parents are, or the foreshadowing that we get of Bran in that first chapter as to Talk- what he's going to become.
2: Talking about Jon Snow parents, I could actually not contribute to the conversation when you guys were talking about the like the the parentage of of Jon Snow and who his mother was, because I was like, no, I'll, I'll give it away. Right?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a tough one to walk. <laughs> yeah.
2: That isn't his father. Uh-huh. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah,
0: it was a little tough to walk. Uh, we don't know that. Right. I'll just devil's advocate. We he don't could know. be. Could be.
2: We, we do get confirmation from John, from Ned, that John is of his blood. Yes, so he's some relation. I,
0: I will throw out just—I mean, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. All three of us subscribe, I think, to the the R plus L equals J theory. Which, uh, if you don't know what that is, it's uh, Rhaegar plus Liana equals John, uh, and that the Ned is not his father at all. Um, but but I do want to just talk, focus on the Ashara Dane thing for a minute because. That to me doesn't make any sense. The theory, the theory is, as explained by Catelyn in that chapter, is that Ned goes to the Tower of Joy, has the has the fight, right, and and uh, kills uh, Kingsguard the Kingsguard member that's Ashara, Ashara's brother, Gerald. Da- no, Gerald Hightower. Arthur. and Arthur Dane. Sorry, gosh, kills Arthur Dane along with you know along with the rest of the Kingsguard that are there with Lyanna, and goes all the way to Starfall where Ar- Ashara and, and Arthur are from. Uh, and delivers his sword, the sword of the morning, uh, to his sister Ashara. And the theory is that that is where Ned slept with Ashara, and 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 gave, and she then gave birth to John. So I, I just don't, I don't understand the timeline because he's going there to return a sword. He's got to get back to his wife. The war is over. He's got other pressing matters, and he's going to stick around for for nine months to wait for this kid to be born. I just don't, I don't, like, there would be questions right. being asked. Like, dude, what are you doing down here? Why are there? you still here? <laughs> like, you've got a son, come home. Or, like, you know, Robert saying, hey, I need my warden in the north to get back and settle things up up there. You know, I mean, I just don't, I don't understand how he would stay there for nine
1: months. Well, there is the possibility that he met up with Ashara before, went off, fought everything. Then when he brought the sword back to Starfall, he found out he was a daddy
2: yeah or but none of that is true
1: pretty unlikely oh, I,
2: play along for a minute <laughs> no i know i i i honestly you know the evidence is
1: overwhelming yeah
2: when you're when you're like on a plane and there's a little bit of turbulence and you get that rush of adrenaline and you think oh this is it and you know you're you should have thoughts of your family and loved ones running through your head or maybe your cats. You know what I think about? I'll never find out!
1: <laughs> you
0: sound pretty damn sure of yourself. Why are you
2: waiting to find out?
1: Should <laughs> we do a quick no. review of, 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 this, this is, of this theory? What
2: my point is, Scott, is this is what I'm living for, is confirmation <laughs> right. Right. that John is Leanna and Rhaegar's son. Well, that's what I'm trying to give to you. I'm just
0: trying to walk you guys through it. Right. So, from a timeline perspective, when it just doesn't make sense. Well, I don't know. Maybe it does. You said you said I've 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 heard this a, a version of this theory before. I think that he saw her somewhere else, slept with her, and and they had sex then. So it's like the middle of war time. Yeah, I guess dudes sleep with chicks in the middle of war sometimes, like after battles or whatever. But it doesn't seem like Ned's style. Yeah.
1: There was a there was a little nugget I think in that story that Mira Reed tell, tells Bran I think it's in that story where she mentions that Ned and Ashara were making eyes at each other at a tournament at Hall, Yeah, but um, what's the timeline? But that was that. That's what I was just about to say. It's like a year or two before even Robert's Rebellion. Yeah. So,
2: mm.
1: but I mean, you know, the evidence is to me is fairly overwhelming when you look at some of the motives and stuff that that they did things. You know. Just to back up just two steps for those that aren't familiar with the theory, uh, is that Rhaegar Targaryen, um, the the heir to the throne, was already married to a Martell. And he uh, went off and he was truly in love with Lyanna Stark. And the way that Robert tells it, of course, is that Rhaegar kidnapped Lyanna, raped her and all that stuff or whatever he did. and uh, And that's how Robert's rebellion started. But the idea is that they actually were in love, Rhaegar and Lyanna, and that's how we got Jon Snow. Uh, you know, just the whole idea of could be King's... either way,
0: really, to be honest. Right. They could have been in love or it could have been raped. Either way, it you could, could have, have ended up with Jon. But yes. Anyway, go for the,
1: it. it. It starts with me at some of the motives of Rhaegar's motives. What's, what's the point of the Kingsguard to protect the royal line? Right. And there's only so many Kingsguard at a time. What is there's like six, seven,
0: eight, eight? eight? <laughs> Damn, <we suck. laughs> three different
1: answers. <laughs> so three of your Kingsguard, three, almost half. It is half if you take my number, but <laughs> I won't, almost half of your Kingsguard, you are going to post at the tower of joy to watch this girl. You kidnapped. That yeah. just seems really unlikely to me. How about to asking, me, I see he's he's protecting his royal line, knowing that his son will be heir if he dies.
0: How about the fact that Ares is the one that should be making all these decisions?
1: I think they were done with Ares. I think everyone knew he's a psycho.
0: so the, you're so well so, so I'm just setting up a premise here. Uh, the premise is that the king's guard doesn't care what Ares says because mm-hmm. he's crazy and he's going to be gone soon somehow, somewhere mm-hmm. or another. So we'll do, you know, what we want. Well, right. if they're willing to do what they want, then they're probably willing to disobey any sort of rules about having to protect the king line. They could do whatever they want. Mm. If you're disobeying orders, you're disobeying orders. It's like the, sure. uh, well, to draw a parallel, it's like the Night's Watch guy. The what 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 Ned says about the Night's Watch guy leaving, he's like, well, his life is forfeit. So at this point, he's willing to do whatever he wants.
1: Mm-hmm. If they're
0: disobeying orders, they might as well disobey all the orders.
1: To the death, though. I don't know. That's interesting. For the and, record, and especially Scott. like the best, the, Arthur Dane was seen as like one of the best knights ever. Yeah, so posts him at the tower. So
0: you'd have thought Rhaegar would have wanted him in battle to maybe kill Robert.
1: Yeah. And he posts him to watch his girl that he kidnapped. I don't know. That's Seems a like argument. a waste of resources to me.
2: There, there are seven Kingsguard. Ah, Scott, Scott was right.
1: Scott is correct. Uh, another thing is is we get like we get tons of little uh, glimpses in the house of the Undying where Danny sees a chink in the wall in a large wall, and in that chink is a blue flower. And the uh, the the crown that Rhaegar gave Lyanna at the tournament that he won when he crowned her Queen of Love and Beauty was made of blue flowers, and apparently they were notorious to. They were notoriously Leona's favorite type of flower.
0: And they were all over the bed when she died, too.
1: Yes, yes. And Danny saw that chink in the in the wall, of a wall of ice with uh, with that flower, indicating Jon Snow being at the wall at that time.
2: Wow. Did you observe that yourself, or did you read that theory online?
1: Read it online.
2: Okay. I just want to – even so, even just remembering it is amazing. I could hardly make it through that chapter of Danny. Oh,
0: my God. I was going to say the same thing.
2: You, oh,
0: I was like, you read all that, Matt? Yeah.
1: I think I, I think I remember some, I was like, oh, Wall, Jon Snow, or something like that. But the flower thing, I had to be led to that.
2: Yeah. Even even so, yeah, interesting theory, and also I love that it backs up my my own personal beliefs. Oh, and and I just, dude, know I am totally on board for Jon Snow and Danny getting let's, together let's and just,
0: r- just, ruling. Let's just save a few things. Let's just slow <laughs> our roll a little bit. The um, second episode. We're already going into R and L plus J or hey, R plus L equals J.
2: Now you want can discuss this every episode.
1: <laughs> Let's just have a segment on R plus L equals J and and see where it takes us.
0: Can it, can one of the can one of the segments in the end just be Brooke drawing hearts uh with with uh John and Danny and
2: uh yes. Throw There's a little right Tyrion now. in there. Yeah, Samaria, yeah, Brienne, right. oh, all so great.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to say when I saw your chapter summaries s- proposals, like I'm not going to bitch, but I'd much <laughs> rather have Arya and Tyrion.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: Uh, I punched air. I was so happy.
1: <laughs> uh, I will admit, I saw in in email Brooke mentioned how much she loved Tyrion's chapters, so I did make it work that way, but. Uh, i'm sorry fine. scott
0: we don't need to waste call time on this right my feelings are uh, hurt let's leave it at that, edit that.
1: yeah <laughs> uh really excited though to get into more of these characters i can't wait to discuss jamie more uh, i talk about braun a lot but jamie is my all-time favorite character in the stories Some really rich stuff we're going to be getting into soon
0: jamie's your favorite Brooke. who's your favorite mm, yes you have to pick John one so all right Scatty. Yeah, I think my favorite is Arya, uh, but I, I I did I did feel quite bored with her latest arc in the last couple books.
1: Mm, but I think she,
0: I think she is my favorite character though.
1: Yeah, um, I thought yours was going to be Robert Baratheon.
0: I do love I do love Big Bobby B.
1: He's like he's like what Bronn is to me. Baratheon is to you, I think.
0: Yeah, I love I love Baratheon. He's just a big meathead, great right. warrior. Not not a lot of thinking going on. Just kind of plot around and knock people's knock people's limbs off with his club it's awesome
2: oh i totally envy that kind of ambition where you see something you want it you take you it. it
1: yes yep. yeah yeah,
2: yeah. bro
1: Brooke, Brooke, who's your um robert baratheon or braun
2: Ooh, i was trying to think of that uh
1: the character that you just you just like just because they are them
2: it's gotta be Tyrion. I mean, he just delights me endlessly i I love the way he thinks, and I guess by logic, the way that George thinks like mm. it, again it's amazing to me that that George can like dampen and heighten the intellectual dialogue and monologue of of each point of view as needed. yeah he can be a child, he can be an older person he can be um a a person prejudiced against he can be super smart he can be yeah. Anyway, it's amazing, fantastic. That's why we're here. That's why we're doing this podcast. Indeed. Yay, George.
1: Well, let's let's finish it. So next time, be sure to join us and look through the next chapters that we will be reading, which are John's second chapter, Danny's second chapter, Ned's second chapter, Tyrion's second chapter, and Catlin's third chapter. And, Tons of fun.
0: Yeah. Let's do All it. All right.
2: Yeah. Thanks very much, gentlemen. Thanks for listening,
0: everybody.
1: Always Great a good convo. time. Yep.
2: Have a good night. Bye.